When uh, my wife and I first started dating a number of years ago, we were students at Andrews University. Uh, we actually had our first date during the fall quarter. It was on a quarter system, I think it still is. And we went a hayride, I think, if I remember. And she told me, I thought very clearly, that she really wanted to date around, which I took as a very clear message that uh, I didn't need to ask her out again. And I didn't ask her out for quite a period of time until the spring, and finally she got the message to me that uh, she would, in fact, like to, to go out again. And so we began dating full-time in the spring of our freshman year. We got engaged at the end of our junior year, and you know what it's like when you're engaged. It's a very serious time. Uh, every fight now becomes one where you say, hmm, is this a deal breaker? Can I put up with this? Can we sort of reconcile through this? And we had a big fight our senior year. I don't remember what it was about. And um, we went our separate ways. She went to the girls' dorm, Lamson Hall. I went to the boys' dorm, Meyer Hall. And it was serious. We, we didn't know if we'd survive this thing. So she gets up to her room, and a little while later, she hears something over the PA. Mary Lynn Smith, please come to the lobby. Smith was her maiden name. And she thought, well, he's come back to apologize. <laughs> and so she came down to the lobby, and I wasn't there. And she thought, well, maybe he got cold feet. So she plucked up her courage. She went over to the boys' dorm across campus. And uh, I was an RA that year. I was on the ground floor. She knew which window was mine. So she knocks on my window. I open up the curtains, and I think, she's come to apologize. <laughs> so she motions for me to come to the lobby, and we sit down, and we kind of work our way through all of that. She believes, and I've come to believe it myself, that that voice over the PA was God's voice. Now, was it God's voice? Okay, it sounded really like the desk monitor. <laughs> okay. But the reality is, that was a very critical juncture for us. And if that voice hadn't come over the PA, we never figured out any human explanation to that particular message. And I think, in fact, God was in that in some mysterious ways, and that's, that's the way it usually goes. Imagine, if you will, that you could hear the voice of God today. I mean really hear the voice of God, not over the PA, uh, not through the sunset or something like that. What would it be like to hear the voice of God? I, my natural reaction, I think, would be like Isaiah, where I would fall on my face, I think, before the voice of God. Or maybe like Daniel, just sort of faint and dead away to hear the voice of God. I imagine I might burst into tears to hear the voice of God, both out of terror and joy at the same time. But in my heart of hearts, what I believe is that if I heard the voice of God 
It would speak to me in such a deep way. It would, in a sense, fulfill the deepest longings of my heart. That it would be like a drop of cool water in a parched throat. Something that's just beyond words to really describe. Unfortunately, we know that sin has disrupted those things, hearing the voice of God. And we just have to look back at the very first uh, chapters of the Bible to understand the difference. So we have the story of Adam and Eve before the fall. And we know very little of what happened except for the fact that God would meet with them in the cool of the day. Now, for those who have kids, you can kind of imagine this. And then if you're a teacher, you might go the steps that I've gone with this. I can picture them sitting down in the cool of the evening, maybe on a mossy rock. And Jesus says, so what'd you learn today? And I somehow in my mind's eye picture Eve like an excited child saying, well, I saw a hippopotamus today for the first time. And it was so funny. I never knew you had such a sense of humor. You know, its ears twirled around, its tail twirled around, and it's just so unbelievably funny. And I can picture God chuckling just like I've chuckled with my kids and grandkids as they've told me excitedly about something they learned that was new and funny and interesting. But we know that sin came in and the the story changed and the picture changed. And I have another vision in, in my mind's eye. And that is similar to what happens when you play hide and go seek with the kids, right? So you tell them go hide And so they go maybe behind the curtains, except their feet are sticking out, right? And I pictured that's what it was like when God came looking for Adam and Eve that day, calling out. He knew where they were, just like I knew where my my kids were when we were playing hide-and-go-seek. And I pictured their feet sticking out underneath whatever tree or bush they were hiding behind. He knew exactly where they were. Except it was very different that time, wasn't it? Because God's heart was broken. And Adam and Eve knew that they were naked and afraid. And things changed tremendously since then. I understand that. I imagine you do too, because we all live in a world of sin. We're all broken. And we know that our conversations with God, our communication with God is different. It's like I I sit like a little child with my eyes closed thinking that if I ignore God, he won't know I'm here. If I close my eyes just like a little kid, then the world sort of goes away. But that isn't the way it is, is it? I can't block God out. Or I picture myself like a skittish squirrel. Okay, you've all tried to see the squirrel that's on the trunk of a tree. You, you go around to the right and the squirrel goes around to the left and you switch and go the other way and the, it skitters over the other way and stays out of view the whole time. And I'm sort of like that with God. He goes around to the right, I go around to the left. Sin has changed the communication we have with God. I picture myself like a spineless jellyfish sort of drifting through life. My tentacles down there sort of stinging the innocent passers-by. The 
There's a story in the New Testament that I think um, is an interesting illustration of God's voice, God speaking to us. You remember the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. So to set the stage, in Matthew chapter 16, they're at Caesarea Philippi up on the coast. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter, we know, eventually confesses that you are the Christ. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. And then Peter, a little later, gets a rebuke saying, get behind me, Satan. His head had to be spinning that day. But God, in his mercy, invited he and Peter, Peter and James and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they got there, we all know the scene. There's Moses and there's Elijah. And the glory of God is surrounding them. And it says in the book of Luke, as he accounts the story, it says Peter didn't know what to say. But that never stopped Peter from saying something, did it? Literally it says he didn't know what to say. And so he starts babbling. I think he said whatever came to mind. And so he said, we need to build three booths here to memorialize this. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. And he's going on. And it's interesting God has to interrupt him. It says, while he was yet speaking, the voice of God came and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of babbling in my life. Sometimes to fill the silence, some because, sometimes because I don't know what to say. It is usually not very meaningful or very helpful And sometimes God has to interrupt me as well. And yet, in spite of sin, in spite of the brokenness of our communication with God, don't we all long to hear the voice of God? Don't we all wish to hear that guidance, that counsel, that comfort? We we picture it like the breath of Aslan giving us courage for whatever lies ahead. Hollywood made a very interesting movie back in 1950. It had a well-known star, someone that had become quite famous, James Whitmore, and someone that two years later would end up marrying Ronald Reagan. Her name was Nancy Davis. And the film was called The Next Voice You Hear. And in the film, they're pictured as the average family, middle-class family. He works in a factory. Uh, They live in Los Angeles. His name is Joe Smith. His wife's name is Mary Smith. (laughs) They have a son named Jimmy Smith, okay? And uh, it portrays a little of their life, sort of mundane. Joe's a bit of a grouch and, you know, kind of irritated with life and his boss and his work and so forth. And one evening, while his wife is helping Jimmy with his homework, Joe sits down on his the comfortable chair there in the living room and clicks on the radio. It was 1950, didn't have TVs much back then. Clicks on the radio and he's listening to his favorite program, 8.30 in the evening. And they introduce the program and the announcer says, and the next voice you hear, and then it cuts out and the scene cuts to the wife and Jimmy in the bedroom. And in a minute later, Joe comes into the bedroom and he says, the strangest thing just happened. 
Right in the middle of my program comes the voice of God. And he says God tells us that he's going to be visiting with us over the next week. Now his son says, oh, how do you know it's the voice of God? You know, we don't know what the voice of God is like. Later on, Joe says, it was different. It was like no other voice I've ever heard. Now that's an interesting theme for a Hollywood movie, isn't it? (laughs) But there it was. What does the voice of God sound like? Jimmy wasn't sure. Joe thought even though he hadn't heard it before, he was pretty convinced that was in fact the voice of God. When I was in seminary many years ago, a mentor of mine there, somebody that uh, my family had known for years, In fact, I called him Uncle Wilbur while I was growing up. His name was Will Alexander. And he eventually ended up going to Loma Linda and starting the whole person care project out there. Just a tremendous individual who just died this year. I remember sitting in his office as a seminary student and I don't remember the context of why he said this, but he turned to me and he said, have you come to the point where you recognize the voice of God? I had to think to myself, I don't think I'm there yet. Have you come to the place where you recognize the voice of God? Now, one of the things I think that we've learned is that, uh, for example, we have voice recognition software. And we know the more we talk into the machine that's got that software, the, the better it recognizes our voice. And I think there's something there. Maybe in recognizing the voice of God, we need to have been in fairly uh, frequent communication with him. An interesting thing happened when we moved to Orlando in 1992. Uh, We had had very good friends. In fact, uh, the woman was uh, my wife's roommate in college. Sue Zadoon was her name at the time. Uh, It's now Sue Black. And... uh, we, we kind of followed them through the years. You do that, you have one or two friends from college that you kind of keep track of. And so in, at one point, we actually lived in the same town, went to the same church. And then we went overseas for eight years and we kind of lost track of them. We'd heard via some friend or the grapevine that they were living in Orlando. And so when we moved to Orlando, my wife, Marilyn says, well, let's check in the phone book. I thought, well, Peter Black, that's a pretty common name. I wasn't too hopeful. And so she goes to the phone book, and believe it or not, there was only one Peter Black in the whole Orlando phone book. And so she takes the phone, she calls, and when someone answers the phone on the other end, she says, Sue? And the voice on the other end said, Mary Lynn? (laughs) They knew each other so well that it took one word and they recognize each other's voice. I think that must be the way it is with God. The more we talk, the more we'll recognize, the more we'll understand. But Will Alexander's challenge to me, have you come to the point where you recognize the voice of God, raises some important questions. First of all, why do I want to hear the voice of God? 
Now you say, well, that seems obvious. I mean, we need guidance, we need hope, we need whatever. We just need to know he's there. But we also know that we might not have the best of motives or might not use it in the best way. Dick Wynn, who was the editor of Insight many years ago, I remember wrote a story telling about a couple that came to him for premarital counseling and they wanted him to marry them. And he did some premarital counseling. He said, I don't think you ought to get married. I'm not going to perform the wedding. They said, well, God has told us that we're supposed to be together and so we'll find somebody that will. And so they went off and they found someone. A year later, he came, they came back to him and their marriage was falling apart. And what had happened is that they heard the voice of God, they believed, but they expected that meant God was totally responsible for the success of their marriage. Now, I've been a teacher for many years and uh, my time at the university, I've spent a number of years as the academic dean as well and handled a lot of appeals from, from students who are getting bad grades or going to be dismissed or something. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've had students say to me, God told me I'm supposed to be a nurse. And yet they were here because they're flunking out. Now what I wanted to say to them, did God also tell you to study harder? I didn't say that. But we sometimes use the voice of God maybe to take the place of the work we ought to be doing or the effort we ought to be putting into it. Our motives, just because we feel we've heard the voice of God, is not uh, the bright and shining path to success as that young couple getting married found. Another question that comes to my mind in thinking about Will Alexander's question about recognizing the voice of God, what if I haven't heard the voice of God? Now I know some people, they hear God speak all the time. I also know people that have never heard the voice of God. Is there some defect in their relationship? Is there a distance that's there perhaps? What's the problem? And, and what do we do with the silence of God? Have you ever experienced the silence of God? It's a pretty scary thing. Even for those who have had God speak to them at a given point in time, may have a drought for a long time afterwards. Philip Yancey talks about that in his book, Disappointment with God. He says, it's like the Old Testament. It starts out with fire and thunder and earthquakes and lightning and pillars of cloud and fire. And then the further you go into the Old Testament and the history of Israel, the less and less God speaks until you finally get 450 years of silence until John the Baptist. He said that's like that in so many Christians' lives. In the early days of their relationship with God, there are answers to prayer and remarkable things that happen, miracles maybe even, and then over time, it seems as though God is less direct. He's more hidden. How can I recognize the voice of God if I can't hear it? Now, I must confess that I did hear the voice of God one time. 
After we got married, my wife and I spent the first year of our marriage in the country of New Guinea as student missionaries. I had graduated as a psych major. My wife was a nurse. I thought I was going to be a psychologist, and one day I was sitting, we were in the middle of the jungle, the airstrip a mile this way and, and a village a mile that way and a little path in front of our thatched roof house. And I was sitting on the, the little porch in the, in the front of the house praying about the future. And I heard clearly a voice that said, go to the seminary. It wasn't an audible voice. I didn't expect anybody that was sitting next to me would have heard it. But it was a very clear voice. The interesting thing is, that's the last time I heard God's voice. 47 years. And out of 68 years of life, I've only heard him once. What does that mean? Why has he spoken so little to me and so much to somebody else? Those are all important questions, I think, that we, we have to be able to answer if we're going to think about the voice of God. So how does God speak to us? I think the most common way, and we all know this, is through Scripture. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is called the Word. Now, there can be the written Word, but there's the spoken word. And I think it's interesting for us to take a look at some of the stories where Jesus spoke and to see what they can say to us. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 8. It's um, a well-known section of the Bible. We've just finished up having the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus starts a series of nine miracles mostly with very marginalized people. The first was a leper, then a centurion, then a mother-in-law. We know how marginalized mother-in-laws are, and so forth. People that are unclean, people that have self-inflicted wounds, all those things. And right in the middle of that, one long, hard day, Jesus and his disciples get in a boat and they sail off. And Jesus is so exhausted that we know the story. He falls asleep in the back of the boat. Matthew chapter 8, starting with verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now we can read that story and we know it. We're very familiar with it. We can hear the words even as he speaks it among the winds and the wave and, and all the crashing and all that stuff. But if, it's God, if God is going to speak to us, what does that say to us? What do we hear when we hear those words that apply to us? Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? Don't you trust me? Do you know that if you're in my care, you're in God's care? There's all sorts of messages that come to us from that. We can't just read the stories of, stories of history or stories of blessing. We've got to see story, them stories of application as well. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, 
We have a very interesting couple of verses that are part of Jesus' sermon. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they do not sow or reap or store away in barns? Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? How many times have we read those words? And they're encouraging. But do we hear God saying them to us? Can you hear his voice? Aren't you more valuable than they? The voice of God in scripture, very powerful thing. Nicodemus, interesting story. A Pharisee comes to Jesus in the night and he wants to, you know, you think about what's he doing there at night, first of all, and I think we all understand what that means. He was worried about his reputation. He was a man of power and position. And he wants to ask Jesus some questions. It's found in John chapter 3. And again, we want to not just hear what Jesus says to Nicodemus. We want to hear what he says to us. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you are doing if God was not with him. Jesus replied, Jesus' voice, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He's saying, Nicodemus, you've set the bar too low. Your expectations are meager. But what does he say to us with those words? You must be born again. You've got to start over, folks. Don, you, you've... you've put your emphasis on your skills and your talents and your ability to make something happen you got to start over with me the story of the woman caught in adultery neither do I condemn you go and sin no more there are days we need to hear those words don't we so one of the profound ways that God speaks to us on a regular basis is through scripture he also speaks to us through others. When I was in college my freshman year, I had some interesting challenges, accusations made against me, some people trying to break Mary Lynn and I up and so forth. And a friend wrote me a note at that time. It was a quote from Plato. It says, when men speak evil of you, live your life so no one believes it. I believe that was the voice of God that day. I needed it that day, and I've needed it ever since many, many times. God uses other people, doesn't he? Words of counsel, words of encouragement, words of hope. The last year that we were at Andrews in our undergraduate uh, time there, Morris Venden came and had a week of prayer. I believe that Morris Venden was an instrument of God. For the first time, I understood righteousness by faith and what Christ has done for me. 
God used others to speak. He uses circumstances as well. Uh, when my wife, who grew up as a f- farmer's daughter in the state of Iowa, everybody from her academy that was going to, aca- going to college went to Union College. It's just the way things happened. She was dating a guy that her parents wanted her to think about in different ways. And so they said to her, well, why don't you go to Andrews? Well, she'd never been to Andrews. She didn't know anybody at Andrews. That was not a particularly attractive thought. All my friends are going to Union. And they said, okay, well, let's just drive out there. And so they they drove to Andrews one weekend. They looked around. They had a pretty good experience. And while she was there, they picked up an application. And they said, okay, let's make this a test. So she said, okay, if... And it was August, okay? School was soon to start. If, in, if I send this off and the deadline is in like a short period of time, within a week or two, if I hear back from them by, you know, a week from Sabbath, I think it was, then I'll go if I get accepted. Well, she knew the time was so short to get that process and so forth just wasn't going to work. And yet every day she came home from work, she would go out to the mailbox, peek in there, you know, no letter, no letter, no letter. It finally came down to the very last day in the test. It was the Sabbath. They got home from church. She looks in the mailbox, and guess what's there? An acceptance letter from Andrews. And she had to reluctantly stick to her word, and the rest is history, as I would say. Um, I would have never met her otherwise. God uses circumstances, doesn't he? Those open and closed doors, those other things. God speaks to us in so many ways. But the interesting thing we can never really predict. God never acts the same way twice, does he? The story of Elijah is an interesting example of that. So, you know, he's on Mount Carmel and the great miracles that happen there fire coming down, burning up the rocks, burning up, lapping up the water and all of that stuff. And he could easily think, God's in the fire. And we know the story how Jezebel threatens his life and all of a sudden this brave man that stood up against 850 prophets of Jezebel and Baal runs for his life. He runs until he's exhausted. And when he wakes up after falling asleep, angels are there to give him sustenance. And he falls back asleep, and when he wakes up, the angels are back for a second course. And then he gets up and he runs until he gets all the way to Mount Sinai. Horrible. And he hides in a cave, and he's sitting there feeling sorry for himself. And God comes to him, and and he comes what? What does he send? He sends... A storm and the rocks are flying and he sends all kinds of natural disasters and booming thunder and all the rest of it. And you would think that Elijah would say, well, there's God again, just like he was on Mount Carmel. But not this time. It's a still small voice. And interestingly enough, what does the still small voice say? What are you doing here? 
Now it's interesting, and I love the grace of this story because God had had way stations along the way, gave him sustenance to run away, and then said, what are you doing here? (laughs) God doesn't speak typically the same way twice. And that's why Will Alexander's question is an important one. Can we recognize the voice of God? The movie that we talked about, The Next Voice You Hear, ends up in an interesting way. For six days, with growing notoriety over the airwaves in America and around the world, the voice of God speaks at 8.30. Doesn't matter if you're out to sea, comes over the shortwave, if you're in a foreign country. And so on the seventh day, after sending some interesting messages to earth, That day, everybody around the world is gathered in their mosques and their synagogues and their churches, and everybody is sitting there waiting. And at 8.30, the last scene of the movie is that they're sitting there in church, and the voice says, the next voice you hear will be that of God. And the camera pans in on the radio, and back on the audience, and back on the radio, and there's no voice. It's silent. What do we do? What do we do with God's silence? What do we do with God's voice when we hear it? (laughs) Sometimes that's more challenging. We can ignore silence. But the real question is, can you recognize the voice of God? When you listen, When you're in nature, can you hear the voice of God? If you listen, do you hear it in a sermon like Morris Fenden? If you listen, can you hear words to yourself in Scripture? Not just to Nicodemus, not just to Peter, but what do they say to you? Does God's voice speak to your heart of hearts? And perhaps the most important and troubling question is can God speak to us in the silence? 